Um, last summer, Paul and I went to a gathering of pastors, just a small group of partnering pastors in the Midwest region, some of the pastors who partner with NCMI, just a small getaway over a weekend. And we just prayed together, we worshiped together, we shared with one another, and we shared our highs and we shared our lows. And something that was so impactful about that weekend away is I think we all walked away from that time realizing, you know, we all have some really amazing things happening that God is doing in our lives and in our churches and things to celebrate and be thankful for. But also each one of us present there had some really significant challenges that we were vulnerable about. And I think we all walked away from that moment realizing everybody has got hardships. It might look like people have got it all together on the outside, but there is always hardship happening. And thank God there are seasons that are a little bit more like the mountaintops where it feels a little bit lighter. But difficulty is a part of life, right? Peter read the scripture earlier where Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. You will. But be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. So that's just a reality. It's a part of life. And I think there's maybe an inner child in each one of us that's constantly waiting for the day when all the trouble stops and finally, you know, life is what I thought it would always be. But that's just a part of life on this earth. And I think um, it was interesting that that, would, I, that was on Peter's heart this morning, uh, just that there would be even pe- some people here maybe going through significant challenges. I'm aware of even within our local church some significant challenges that people are walking through at this time. And I just want to talk this morning, vulnerably even, about how we walk with God through hardship. Because we don't have to just walk through the hardship. He invites us to walk with him. And I think that's the important part. There's a lot of way to get through stuff. You can grin and bear it and just endure it. But he invites us to walk with him through the things that we walk through. And... uh, I've been thinking recently and looking into scripture, you know, have you ever, have you ever been going through a a difficult thing and you're like, just trying to rest in God? Because people say that all the time, just rest in God, just give it to God and let God fight the battle. And then you're like, but wait a minute, I'm also supposed to speak the word and speak the truth. Oh, I need to be doing that too. And then you're like, but you know what? I just really feel like I need to be real and tell God the way I really feel about this. And so I just began really kind of writing some of those thoughts down and looking into scripture and and discovering and seeing. It's not like some major discovery, but we're going to look at scripture today to see that really all three of those things are biblical. All three of those things I just mentioned are a real walk with God through hardship. And it's not like you even graduate from one and go into the other. You can experience all three of those things in one day. In one day, you can be pouring out your heart to God, I'm going to die And then a few hours later, you are confessing the promises of God like you have a giant inside of you, a lion inside of you like we sang. And then that evening, you could be just resting and just giving it to God, not even thinking about your problems. And then maybe a few hours later, you are in panic again. You know, it's so it's it's not even necessarily that we graduate from one to the other. But I think I think we need to know that each one of those responses are biblical and good. And there's a way to walk with God in each of those. Um, so this is not a formula. It's not even like you got to do number one and then number two. Number, it's not like that. But I think it's just an, to encourage us how do we respond in the midst of difficulty. Um, 
so I want to just read firstly, uh, there, I'm going to go through quite a few scriptures. I'm going to, I will mention it when it would be helpful for you to actually turn there. Um, but some of them I will just read to you. So I first want to read Second Chron- Chronicles 20, verse 12. And what was happening here is that Jehoshaphat was leading the people of God, and there were these vast armies that had come to battle against them. And what he says is in verse 12, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. So there's this reality, there's this realness before God. I don't know what to do. And I think God appreciates it when we're real. Lord, I don't have a clue what to do. But my eyes are on you. So it's holding on to that greater truth in that moment. And then in verse 15 of 2 Chronicles 20, Jehaziel gets up and prophesies, and he says to the people of God, do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. So the instruction in that moment was you actually can rest. You actually, in looking to God, have found that you can be at peace. You can, you can rest. So already right there in Scripture, we see those three responses. I don't know what to do, but I'm acknowledging you. And number three, I can rest in that. So let's talk about that first thing, first of all. The realness, the honesty, the part that says, God, I don't know what to do. Let's talk about that and look at a few scriptures. That one of the ways that we navigate through hardship with God is that we are honest, that we pour our hearts out before the Lord. Psalm 62, verse 8. David is speaking, and he says, Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your heart before him. If you're pouring out your heart to God, there's vulnerability in that, right? Think about the last time somebody poured out their heart to you. They were being vulnerable. They were letting you see what they're really scared about, what they're worried about, what they're heartbroken about. That's what God wants from us. He wants us to be vulnerable with him. Vulnerability is not weakness. I want want us to look at the example of David. David, the mighty warrior in scripture, the king, he became king. He was vulnerable before God. He's the one who wrote what I just read about pour your heart before God. But he was not weak. He was a mighty warrior. He's the one who was not afraid of Goliath. You guys know the story of David and Goliath? Goliath was a very large part of the, a large man in the Philistine army that everyone was afraid of. He was a strong, mighty warrior. They even called him a giant because he was so big. And he was taunting and threatening the armies of God. And everyone was afraid of him. They wouldn't even go to the battle line because they were so scared. And David was the shepherd boy. He was younger than the rest of the army. He didn't even have armor. And he had a courage and a strength about him that scripture actually says that he ran toward Goliath to kill him with a slingshot. So David's not a wimp. He's not someone who doesn't understand what courage is. He even has an understanding of who God is and how powerful God is and how much God is with him. But this guy, David, says in Psalm 62, pour out your heart before God. So it's not a lack of strength. It's not weakness to pour out your heart before God. 
When David ran toward Goliath, he knew what to do in that moment. His heart was clear. He was full of vision. But in this moment, when he wrote Psalm 62, he didn't know what to do. He was in a different space altogether. He's saying, pour out your heart before God. Some Bible scholars believe that David wrote this when he was fleeing his son Absalom. Some, not everyone believes that that's when he wrote this, but there's some scholars who believe that it was in this moment that was heartbreaking to David. His son, his favorite son, was betraying him and trying to steal the throne from him and was actually raising up an army to overthrow like physically bring harm to David's people and to David. Can you imagine the betrayal, the heartbreak that he was feeling? In this circumstance of pain and hurt and unjustness, David says, trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your heart before him. The moment with Goliath required courage. This was a heartbreaking moment for David. It required vulnerability before God. It required pouring out his heart before him. He goes on to say, God is a refuge for us. I believe it is in in the pouring out of our hearts before God that we find the refuge, that we find and we experience him as a refuge. You know, humility is defined as freedom from pride or arrogance. And scripture tells us that to receive God's grace, we have to be humble. The word says he resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. We know that scripture that says submit to God, resist the devil, he will flee from you. So submitting to God is a powerful thing. Humility is powerful. But I believe vulnerability is even something a little different than that. Vulnerability is defined as openness, willingness to show emotion, or to allow one's weaknesses to be seen. That's what vulnerability is. It also means willingness to risk. You know, that sometimes we are reluctant to be vulnerable before God or before people because we don't want to take the risk of going into that place that's so vulnerable, right? So uh, sensitive that if I really open up on that level, I'm going to say things to God that I can't take back. I'm going to say things to people that they're going to then know about me. There's a risk in vulnerability. You're vulnerable when you have something to lose and you step into it anyway. That's what vulnerability is. The truth is that in God, we're not actually vulnerable. We're more secure in God than we could ever possibly understand, right? But for us to really experience and understand and receive that security, I believe that we need to see in our, and acknowledge our vulnerability without him. So it's like there's this vulnerability that we've got to move into, understanding, without you, God, I am toast. So that I can experience the absolute lack of vulnerability that's found in him. But it requires a vulnerability in our hearts. And sometimes when we're walking through difficulties and we're waiting on the promise of God to be fulfilled, we become very aware of that vulnerability. We become very aware that this could go so many directions that I can't control. So I've got to bring that vulnerability to God. I recently read Joanna Gaines' new book, Joanna Gaines and Chip. You probably have seen them on HGTV. They're the ones that have this home renovation empire 
in Waco, Texas, and um, they're believers, and they've given God the glory for the way they've built their business. But she recent, she wrote a book that was released this year, and it's really about vulnerability, and it's about the stories of our lives, the stories that we tell ourselves about our lives. And she wrote this book about her story and just encouraging people to engage with their own story. And a lot of times we'll believe lies about ourselves in the way that we uh, think about our own lives is really important. And so that's what the book is about. But I just want to read this one paragraph from her book. She says, every time I stand in truth, my heart and arms open wide, I am reminded that I was made to feel more than just afraid. I can also be brave. And more often than not, the two actually go hand in hand, being afraid and being brave. I think most of us are far more capable of this, feeling more than one way at once. Have you ever felt more than one way at once? I think we can be tender and ambitious, sensitive and strong, shy and vocal, fearful and courageous. That has been my experience with vulnerability. It lets us feel one way, but then shows us how to become the other. And that's what I want to encourage us with today. Don't be afraid to be honest and real about the way you feel. But it's even in that process of being vulnerable with God about that, that he shows you how to become the other. I believe that vulnerability before God is part of that process of becoming able to stand in his truth and strength to walk all the way through our difficult circumstances into victory. I want us to look at how Jesus was vulnerable. Jesus is our ultimate example. And when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he knew he was headed toward the cross. He knew that he was about to die. He knew he was going to go through significant torture, turmoil. He knew he was going to be separated from his father. And we read, I, I do want you to turn here if you don't mind, on your app or in your Bible. Let's, let's go to Matthew 26. because we're going to read this together. Matthew chapter 26, verses 36 through 42. It says, Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed, sorrowful and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. He went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, what? Could you not watch with me for one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And then get this, again, a second time, he went again and prayed, saying, oh, my father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. So we see here that Jesus twice went into this vulnerable place of prayer with the Father. It says that he was sorrowful and deeply distressed. He even said, even to death. Have you ever felt 
that kind of sorrow and pain and distress, like, God, I don't know if I'm going to make it. Like, I don't know if I can even imagine tomorrow. That's how overwhelmed I feel. Jesus has been there. He was in that space. We know in Hebrews 4 that it says we don't have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. He's been there. He's, he knows what that feels like, even more than we do. And that's a very real place. I think some people get cynical in that place. Like, God, where are you? But we have an opportunity to take that to God, to take those feelings to God. We don't need to hide those real feelings from God. We need to take them to him. The same moment when Luke wrote about it, in Luke 22, verse 44, the same moment of Jesus being uh, in the garden, it says that being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. That's the level of vulnerability that Jesus was in in that moment. This is Jesus. He's God. And yet he's also fully human. Jesus was not afraid to be vulnerable. Jesus did not have this need to have it together all the time. He was vulnerable in that place before God. I believe that for it to be an authentic sacrifice, Jesus had to work through those feelings. When we are offering our lives as a sacrifice, as Chris read this morning, a lot of times there's difficulty in that. There's a death that we die in those circumstances. We've got to work through that in a vulnerable place with God. Now I want us to please just flip over one chapter to Matthew 27. And at this moment now Jesus is actually on the cross. He's gone to the cross. And in verse 46, it says, At about the ninth hour Jesus cried out with a loud voice. And I'm not going to try to speak in the Aramaic that he spoke. But he said, My God, my God, why? Have you forsaken me? Why? Have we ever said, why, God? Why? I mean, if there's ever anyone who was undeserving of something, Jesus was undeserving of what he was experiencing on the cross. And he had to, I mean, it says he was saying, why? He did everything his father told him to do. He was faithful. Why? Have you ever experienced, God, why am I experiencing this? Why am I going through this difficulty? I've served you to the best of my ability. As far as I know, I've done everything that you've asked me to do. And where I've missed it, I've tried to make up for, I've tried to make it right. I've tried to honor you. Why? Why am I going through where this situation? Another way of saying it maybe is, God, where are you? Where are you? Do you even see what's happening here? I know some of you can identify with with feelings like that. Now, quickly, I do want to ask you to turn to Psalm 22. I'm not going to ask you to turn to everything, but I do want, I just want us to see this. Psalm chapter 22. Psalm chapter 22, verse 1. This is a Psalm of David. David wrote this. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The exact same words that we just read that Jesus said on the cross. So Jesus was actually quoting the psalm on the cross. He was quoting the words of David. David knew, and Jesus knew, this vulnerable honesty before God. And then it goes on to say there, Why are you so far from helping me? And from the words of my groaning, 
So Jesus was bleeding in the garden. Here it says that David is groaning, groaning. I don't know about you, but maybe you understand that. I understand that. Sometimes you don't have words. All you have is, ugh. You know? They understood that. And they've both said here, God, why have you forsaken me? David said, God, why are you so far away from helping me? This is David. This is Jesus saying these words. Now, was God actually far from helping them? What happened three days later? That was not far away. In that moment, yes, Jesus actually did experience that separation from the Father, something that we never have to experience because he did it for us. But God was not actually far away from helping him. God had a plan. And if we study the life of David, we know that David was never far away from the salvation of God. Yes, he went through many hardships, but he saw many victories. And even through his own failures, he saw the victory of God come through. God described him as a man that was after his own heart. So God was never actually far away from helping Jesus or helping David. We have to believe he's never actually far away from helping us, even though in those moments it feels like, God, where are you? Jesus' vulnerability on the cross was not only vulnerability with God, but Jesus was vulnerable for the sake of others. He was vulnerable for the sake of us. I mean, what could be more vulnerable than hanging on a cross naked? I can't think of anything more vulnerable. Jesus wasn't only humble. He was vulnerable. He put himself in a vulnerable place, even unto death. Hebrews 12 tells us that we need to run this race of life like Jesus did. Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2 says, Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, who is the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. The pioneer meaning that he's the one who went first. He did it, so we got to follow him and do it the way he did it. He went and lived for us the way we're supposed to live. Now we need to live like him. He's the pioneer. We follow after him. We run our race like he did. So if we're going to be like Jesus, that means we need to be vulnerable first with God, unprotecting of ourselves, not hiding ourselves from God, just like Jesus was in the garden. And then we also need to be vulnerable for the sake of the gospel, just like Jesus was on that cross. He was vulnerable for the sake of others. Vulnerability is essential to our relationship with God. Because if we bring ourselves before God in the opposite way of vulnerability, if we're closed off, if we're protecting our hearts, if we're holding ourselves from him, if we're unable to show emotion or feeling or pain before him, if we are presenting constantly to God what we can do and what we've done, then we can't receive his help. You know, Paul often gives that analogy. He mentioned it again last Sunday when he preached about releasing control to follow Jesus. You know this analogy that Paul talks about, like if you fell in a hole and you couldn't reach and, and Jesus came out to, to help you and he gives his hand to you, it's no good if you stand there and don't reach back for him. Vulnerability is that reaching back to God. It's saying, I'm going to trust you because you've proven your love that you died for me. I'm also going to trust that you have the power to pull me out of this mess because you rose from the dead. So it's trusting in his love and his power. But we have to be vulnerable before God to be able to receive 
that power to pull us out of our situations. If I'm vulnerable, if I'm not vulnerable with others, if I try to keep my feelings and my hardships and my weaknesses covered up with others, then my life is not going to be the best witness of the gospel. It's essential to our Christian witness, vulnerability. Paul was talking about these food and faith uh, meals that, we, that we're having, wanting to bring people into this beautiful community that we have. We enjoy fellowship and community with one another that's deep and rich, and we want to bring people into that. Well, if we present ourselves to others as the opposite of vulnerable, if we're closed, if we don't express emotion, if we protect ourselves, if we present this nice, neat package that that isn't real, then people aren't going to be able to even receive the witness that we have. So vulnerability for the Christian allows us to be completely honest and open with God and with people about where we really are. Obviously, I think you understand it goes without saying that it doesn't mean that you have to tell everybody everything about your life. But I'm talking about there's not this sense of being closed off. There's not this sense of I've got to be the best that I can be and show my perfect side. People want to know that you're real because they're real and they have real problems and they need to know how God has helped you and is helping you today with the things that you are facing. The world wants to know that this is possible to be real and to serve the Lord. So I think that there's two extremes when it comes to vulnerability. I think that there are some of us possibly who struggle with vulnerability. We struggle to be real. We struggle to be vulnerable with God. We struggle to be vulnerable with others. But then I think there's also something in our culture today on the other side where our culture kind of worships at the altar of vulnerability and gets stuck there. There's like this fascination with vulnerability. Vulnerability is actually a buzzword word in our culture right, right now, and there's a lot of good that comes from it because it encourages people to get help. It encourages people to move beyond where they're at. It encourages people to open up. But I think sometimes we, we kind of get used to the idea and we kind of like the idea of spewing emotions and opinions, of just like, well, this is just the way I feel about it, and there's no filter. Just kind of, you know. And then our, I think our culture prizes the rawness of that so much. You know how I think the pendulum swings often in culture because people weren't vulnerable and now we're becoming more vulnerable, but it kind of goes too far. Like there's such a rawness that people begin to have this hunger for that. And there's not a capacity, there's not a hunger to move past that to receive help. But I want to say that for the Christian, for the follower of Jesus, if you're really vulnerable, you're not only going to be vulnerable about the way you feel and your problems, you're going to be vulnerable enough to receive help. That's what real vulnerability is. Um, I want to I hold scripture before us today, and we're going to look at a few things here to see that real vulnerability allows God to shape us in our areas of weakness. Vulnerability serves a purpose. It's taking us somewhere. Again, like I read from Joanna Gaines, be fearful so that you can be courageous. Don't be afraid to be fearful so that you can be courageous. Be one, but become the other. Philippians 3 one of my favorite passages, verses 10 and 11, says, I want to know Christ. 
I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to participate in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, vulnerability, so that I can attain the resurrection from the dead. There's a purpose in vulnerability. Death is so that there can be a resurrection. Vulnerability is so that there can be a rising of strength. And that brings us to the second way that I believe that we navigate through hardships with God. The first one was vulnerability, authenticity, being real. The second one, and again, that's with God and with people, but the second one is that we need to speak and declare and act the truth of God over our situations. We need to take bold steps of faith in the face of adversity. 2 Corinthians 12.10, I'll just read a couple of these. You don't have to turn there. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 10 says, That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. There's a strength that you're reaching for in your weakness. It's not your own strength. It's God's strength. Romans 8, verses 35 through 37, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Have we gone through some of those? Maybe, maybe not all of them. As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered a sheep to be slaughtered, like this unending all day long difficulty at times in our lives. But it says, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So there's a vulnerability, but then it's declaring, this is what God says about my situation. We've already mentioned how David took action against Goliath. He actually put action to what needed to happen there. I want us to look at an example of how Jesus took action and spoke words when he was in the wilderness, right after he was baptized, and he went into the wilderness and fasted. And scripture tells us that Satan came and tempted him in the wilderness to try to get him off course before he really stepped into his ministry. And it says in Matthew chapter 4, in verse 1, Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Here comes the devil. Here he comes with his trouble just like he comes into our lives with trouble. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, and he said, this is the devil speaking to Jesus, if you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. But Jesus answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And then it says in verse 11, after two more temptations, it says that the devil left him. Jesus spoke the word of God to his enemy in the face of that difficulty. David did that when he was facing Goliath. He spoke to Goliath, and he acted against Goliath. So those are two examples of, of how, we, how we need to respond to our problems. We don't just need to be vulnerable and real. We need to grab hold of truth and say, okay, what does God say about this difficulty that I'm facing? What am I going to say? I'm going to be real, but I'm also going to say some things about the situation that needs to change. And I'm also going to act. I'm going to do some things about the situation that needs to change. Let's look at a couple other examples. In Acts 16, you don't have to turn there, but in Acts 16, Paul and Silas, they're going around preaching. They're baptizing people in the name of Jesus. They cast a demon out of a slave girl 
And the people of the city were upset about it because they said that they were troubling their city. And so Paul and Silas were beaten and they were thrown into jail. They were falsely accused. They were just doing what Jesus said to do. Have you ever been falsely accused? Just trying your best to serve God and you have trouble come your way. And in this instance, what did they do about their situation? It says that they began to worship. They began to worship. They began to lift God up over their circumstances. I know somebody in this church body this week, I said, are you doing okay about this circumstance? And she said, I am. I'm praising God. She said, I really am doing okay. I'm just praising God. That was her response in the middle of this difficulty. And it says that, you can read about it in Acts 16 if you want to, it says that there was an earthquake and they came out of their jail cells and then the jailer and his whole household received the Lord. And then in Acts 5, the power of God is moving in the church. The church is growing, people are being healed. This is the new church that's just started. Miracles are happening and the Sadducees, they, they were the religious leaders of the day who did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. They hated the church. They wanted to stop what the apostles were doing. So they threw the apostles in prison. And what happened there is that an angel opened the prison doors and brought them out. Okay, so the angel, we don't even know what they did in prison. It doesn't say there if they prayed, if they worshiped. But an angel came and got them out. But then what did the apostles go do? They went right back to the temple the next morning and they started preaching again for the thing that they were thrown in jail for the night before. They start preaching again. So they're taken back to the Sadducees again. And in verse 28, it says, we gave, the, the Sadducees said to them, to the apostles, we gave you strict orders to stop preaching. You were supposed to stop. And in verse 29, Peter, the apostle, says, we must obey God rather than human beings. Sometimes the right response in your difficulty is just to keep on doing what you're doing. Don't stop. Don't let anything stop you. Don't let discouragement stop you. Don't let difficulty stop you. And it says that after they said that, they were beaten. They were beaten. And they were released and let go. And it says, day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. As we are doing what God says, we will face hardship. Are we going to keep going? Are we going to keep moving? Sometimes we need to rest. Sometimes we need to cry. Sometimes we need to speak. Sometimes we need to act. And we need to keep on acting and not allow, to be, not allow ourselves to be, stopped, to be stopped. And then the third way that I wanted to mention today that we navigate through hardships with God is this thing of rest. There is a time where you do, you, you can't confess anything else, you can't speak anything else, you can't sing anymore. You just got to release it to God. There's a moment for that. There's a time of rest because God wants to give us rest. He wants to give us reprieve. Sometimes life will not give you rest, but God wants you to have rest in him. We've got to learn how to find that rest in God. We read Psalm 62 earlier where David was pouring out his heart to God when his son Absalom was trying to take the throne from him. We already read part of Psalm 62 where it says, Trust in him at all you times 
people, verse 8, pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge. Well, in that same psalm, in verse 5, David says, my soul waits silently for God. So in the same psalm, David is saying, pour out your heart. He's also saying, wait silently. So there's a place for both. He says, my expectation is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for me. That means to throw it on him. If I throw it on him, I'm not holding it anymore. Jesus did this as we've looked at Jesus going to the cross today. In Luke's account of Jesus on the cross, Luke 23, 46, Jesus said, Father, his, his, his last moment, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Lord, you have it. You can have it. Take it. Jesus is our example. Psalm 23. Oh, such a wonderful, wonderful passage that just ministers so deeply to us. Psalm 23, verse 4. Even though I walk through the darkest valley. That's honest, right? It's honest. It's brutally honest. Some translations say the valley of death. I'm walking through it. But I will fear no evil. Speaking the truth. For you are with me. It's the reality and the truth. I'm walking through a valley of death. But you are with me. And I want to encourage us as true believers, as vulnerable Christians, you got to be both. That's what it really means to be vulnerable. I'm real. But if I'm really real, then I'm real about what God says, too. Are we vulnerable enough to believe what God says? Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. That is a place of rest. That you might have enemies swirling around you, taunting you, the enemy accusing you, the enemy trying to upset you and make you worry and fearful. You might have people even doing those things. Maybe it's not even in your head. Maybe it's actually being said to you. Maybe there's actual circumstances that are making you feel like we know, our pe- we know flesh and blood is not our enemy, but sometimes people treat us like that. And in the middle of that, God sets a table. What do you do at a table? You pull up a chair like we do at community group. You eat. You rest. You take a load off. You have something to drink. You fellowship. In the middle of difficulty, God has a table for us to come and sit at, to rest. And just in closing, I want us to read, if you would, please turn to Psalm 42. I want to read through the psalm together. Some Bible scholars uh, believe that David wrote this. Some people believe somebody else wrote it. But whoever wrote it, I feel that this is such a great example of this three-part reality that we're talking about this morning, uh, that we need to authentically experience all three of these things, authenticity and and vulnerability, but also the truth and what that means I'm going to say and do about the truth, but then also rest. I think that the Psalm 42 expresses all three, all three, in the, like several times in the same, so like even in the same moment, whoever wrote the psalm is experiencing all three of these things until the fulfillment of God's promise. Again, it's not a formula. It's not even necessarily steps or progression. It's, a, it's, it's things that we're going to feel and that God wants us to walk with him through. So let's start with verse 3 of Psalm 42. 
says, my tears have been my food day and night. While people say to me all day long, where is your God? A vulnerable situation. But now he's about to be honest with God about it. Pour out his heart. These things I remember as I pour out my soul. Same, the same phrase, pouring out. How I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one. He's remembering a good time, a better time, with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. You could even say he's having a little bit of a pity party, but he's processing. He's being real about God. I, I long for what I used to have. I long for those days. Those days were good. Those days were sweet. What is happening? Why am I in this situation right now? What, what have I done? What, what, what's happening here? Then verse 5, why, my soul, are you downcast? It's like he pauses that and comes over here and, and has this reckoning with himself. Why are you downcast? Wait a minute. Why? Why are you so disturbed? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. But then in verse 6, again, my soul is downcast, vulnerable again. But then, choosing thoughts in the next phrase, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Miller, Ms. Mount Miser. Deep calls to deep in the roaring of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me. There's a place of rest in God to go to sleep and actually sleep and rest. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? So he's vulnerable again. Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer, suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? But then in verse 11, he's reaching for that truth again. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. For I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. There's this place of rest that he ends in. I will yet praise him. I'm going to rest in that truth. I'm going to rest in knowing that God is with me and that he wants to journey through this thing with me. So this morning, I just want us to respond to what we've looked at here in the Word of God together because I know that each one of us are facing things, maybe some more difficult than the other today. But I want us to have hearts that respond to the Lord in an authentic and vulnerable way. And maybe, maybe as we've looked at these things today, we've identified, you know, I'm not really good at being vulnerable with God or being vulnerable about people, with people. Or maybe we've identified I'm great at being vulnerable, but I'm really not good at what I need to do with the truth of what God says about my situations. Or maybe we've identified... I'm really good at praying and warring and worshiping, but I don't know how to rest. I don't know how to just release it to God. I feel like if I'm not praying all the time, uh-oh, somebody pray, somebody pray. You know, we got to learn how to rest. So maybe some of this has, has been highlighted in your heart of an area that God might want to just show you how to better walk with him through difficulty. So I just want us to get, have a moment where, where we respond to God in that. So just, uh, just quiet your heart before the Lord right now. If you want to close your eyes, you can. Um, but let's just respond to him in this moment.